So I'm here to stimulate your faith. I'm here to take the paddles and rub them together. And if, you're, if you've lost your faith, to bring some, some, some heartbeat back to your faith. And if, you, if your faith is, is running low, I'm here to rev up the engine and get it up a little higher because this is a great week. This is a miraculous week. And I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. The, uh, Jesus and the disciples, as they were uh, going about, and Jesus was teaching and, and preaching and ministering and doing miracles, there was always the devil, always the devil finding somebody that he could talk through, somebody that he could work through. And he got the Pharisees on this particular day, and the enemies got the Pharisees challenging Jesus, trying to see if they could catch Jesus in something that they could charge him with and throw him in jail. And they're, they're saying, okay, now, you, you're so smart. You're the Holy One. Tell us. You say you're the Son of God. Tell us then, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies to them in Mark 12, 29 through 31. And he answered them and he said, first of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Here he goes back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. He quotes out of the Old Testament. He gets the Pharisees. He, puts, he gives them a taste of their own medicine. He said, this is about loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I ask you this morning, do you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? He lists all of those areas because it may be possible that we love God with one area and not the other. And God wants total commitment, total abandon. He wants us. He wants all of us. And, and, and it's been said before, if he's not Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. So he doesn't want a half-hearted love. He doesn't want a, a commitment in one area and a non-commitment in another area. He says, if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, you are to love the Lord. But Jesus didn't end there. He goes on in ver the next verse 31, and he says, and the second is like it. It is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So here Jesus is saying it's not just about this vertical relationship between you and God, you holy ones. He said it's also a relationship horizontally with those that are around you. That you've got to demonstrate the love you have with God with the, uh, in, in demonstrating it with a love for people. So he calls them, he challenges them, and he says this gate the, uh, uh, swings on these two hinges, and this is the greatest commandment. This is the greatest, that, that if you fulfill this, you fulfill all the other commandments. That we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. My question today is this. If God is calling us and God has placed in his word the importance of us loving our neighbor as ourselves, then we need to do a little study to see what the key is to being a good neighbor. Uh, on the screen you'll see a fence there because uh, it's been said before, a good fence makes for a good neighbor. And, and in, a, in an essence that can be true, which means there needs to be boundaries. We all need boundaries set in our lives, and I think I'm going to be teaching a series on the power of boundaries so that we have proper boundaries and we tear down uh, improper boundaries, but we all need boundaries. We don't need uh, to allow anybody and just everybody 
to be up in our business anytime they want to. You see what I'm saying? That we have to have boundaries. There's boundaries between husbands and wife. There's boundaries with children and their parents. There's boundaries. They're healthy. They're healthy to do that and with neighbors as well. But with that said, we also have a responsibility to our neighbor. And he says, you love your neighbor as yourself. So we know that there has to be some healing in, in us before we can bring healing to others. There has to be deliverance in us before we can bring the message of deliverance to others. So we need to, to come from under the lie that the enemy tells us that we are worthless, that we are nothing, that we're not important, that we'll never amount to anything. We've got to come from under that. The enemy lies. And let me tell you what, he will lie to you and tell you the world would be better off if you were dead. The world would be better off without you. If you ever hear anything like that, that is straight from hell. Don't listen to it. It is a lie. What we do need to listen to is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that whosoever can be you if you'll choose, that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let Him be your Lord and your Savior. Surrender to His Lordship. And let me tell you what. He can give you a love for yourself. Now, we have to love ourselves in order to love our neighbors. Now, when I say love ourselves from the Scripture, I do not, and I've studied it in detail, it does not say to be in love with yourself. Okay. Have you ever met someone who is in love with themselves? That's not what we're talking about here this morning when we say love our neighbor as ourselves. So if God is saying that for us to fulfill and walk in His pleasure and fulfill and walk in the fulfillment of the commandments that He has given us here in the New Testament, then we have to love our neighbor. We have to be a good neighbor. And I found the key. There's a key to being a good neighbor, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. The key to being a good neighbor is mercy. It takes mercy. Now, when I hurt you, I want mercy. But when you hurt me, I want revenge. That's not what we're talking about today. But that's our natural state, right? If I hurt you, come on now, give me some mercy. Show me some mercy. But if you hurt me, it's time for revenge. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 7, blessed. And that word blessed means a sense of being happy and, and with the favor of God. Blessed and kind are the kind and merciful. That word merciful there talks about being kind and merciful for they shall obtain mercy. If you want to receive mercy, you got to give mercy. If you want to be blessed and happy, you got to be kind and merciful. And, 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 and here, uh, he tells us that that is available. If you want to be blessed and happy, what you got to do is just show mercy. That's all he says. So we need to know what do we need to show. If we need to show mercy, what is mercy? Well, let's dig in and find out. Mercy in the Greek, that original language that God gave us the New Testament, comes from a Greek word, eleemon, which means not to just possess pity, but to have active compassion. To have active compassion. To be compassionate in word and deed. So it's not just what you say, but it's what you do as well. So it's not just something you feel. Oh, I feel merciful. Merciful, to show mercy is to uh, show mercy in word and deed. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is 
filled with talking about the mercy of God and God calling us to be merciful. And it's kesed, and it literally means to get into someone else's skin. Not get under their skin, but to get in their skin. So we're not only sympathizing, but we are empathizing. So mercy, simply defined, is love in action. Giving people what they need instead of what they may deserve. Aren't we glad that God gave us what we need rather than what we deserve? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, so we all deserve hell. But aren't you glad that Jesus Christ gave his life for us, that God gave his only begotten son, that we don't receive what we deserve, <laughs> we, we, we receive what we needed, and we needed salvation. See, it's a characteristic of God. Mercy is the nature of God. God is a merciful God, the Bible says. And mercy costs. It's a price. Just like freedom costs, there's a price. And Jesus was willing to give his life for that. Psalms 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and he's full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. What, what a great God we serve. He is full of compassion. I want you to hear that today. The devil's been lying to you and telling you God is so mad at you and he's not going to do this for you and that's why you're not getting this and that's why you're not broken through here and that's why you've not seen your promotion here and that's why this door has been slammed in your face. The devil's been lying to you. Listen, God is gracious. I mean, he is full of grace and he's full of compassion. He is slow to anger and great in mercy. See, see, God is merciful, therefore we have to look to Him. If we're to be merciful, then we have to look to Him to be our example. Amen? Because it's not by nature for us to show mercy. So I'm going to give you four marks of mercy. The marks of mercy, and you can know that you're merciful if you, uh, how you measure up on these marks. You can give yourself an evaluation. I'm going to give you a test, okay? All of our regent students and college kids and high school kids and, and middle school. And I know you said, wait a minute, I don't want to test. Well, we're going to give you a test, but I'm going to ask you, don't share your answers. Okay, please, keep your answers to yourself. Someone, I said that in the first service, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, well, let me give you my answer. I said, I don't want to think different of you, brother. I don't want to think different. Hold on to it. And he gave it to me anyway. And I said, now i got to pray and get that picture out of my mind. And, uh, and he laughed as he went out. So you keep your answers to yourself. But if I am merciful, I will, and we're going to look at four marks of mercy. Number one, I will be patient with those who are peculiar. Look at somebody and say, you're not peculiar. No, 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 let's not lie in church. Let's not lie in church. I will be patient with those who are peculiar. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. That means even those who are peculiar. I mean, I mean sometimes it, he tells us here that we, uh, to be merciful and to show the compassion of God, we need to warn those who are lazy. We need to correct those who are out of order. That's love. We need to encourage those who are timid. That's love. We need to care for the weak. That is love. But he says mercy has to always be patient with everyone. Now let me tell you what. You and I were not born with patience. You came out, Dr. Wing probably brought some babies into the world today. They were delivered. We came out fussing. We came out fussing. 
I didn't like that. I was in a warm place, and now you brought me out here, and now I'm going to make you know that I'm not happy. And there you sticking bottles in their mouth, and we're doing everything we can. I remember, I don't know if it was Townsend or maybe it was, I don't remember which one, but boy, when they were cleaning them up, Boy, they were like, this rough rag, are you kidding? Where is that, where is, uh, you know, something that would be much more? Silk, where is the silk? You got that old hospital rag that's all ragged and, 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 and on my skin. And boy, I think it was Townsend, he was fussing. He was like, he looked up at me and like, how dare you let them do this? And, uh, you know, he was my first, so I just had to sit back and say, let the nurses do what the nurses do. But, um, uh, you know, we, we're not born to be patient. We, want, we don't like it. We let people know. But did you know I've heard people say, I've been working on my patience. I heard some people say, I prayed for patience. I heard somebody rebuke them. No, don't pray for patience. You pray for patience. Oh, every test in the world is going to come at you. Never pray for patience. Now, I don't think that's godly advice at all, okay? I know we've heard it before, but I don't think that's godly advice. I do think we should pray for patience, but we need to understand where patience comes from. The Bible says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit, which means it is of supernatural origin. And we have access to the supernatural origin of patience in, to, to live in us and be fruit and flow out of us when we yield to the Holy Spirit. So the key to patience is to be walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. So if you want to be more patient, you want to be more full of the Spirit of God. Now, 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 let me tell you, that's very, very important. Just like a farmer can go out here and he says, I want a tomato. He can squeeze his hand. He can squeeze the dirt. He can pound the dirt with impatience. He can do whatever he wants. He can curse the dirt. He's not going to get a tomato until he participates with what God has already set up, uh, seed time and harvest time, and he must do it in God's timing, of that seed time and harvest time, and he must use seed, and he must use soil, and he must use the nurture of water and or fertilizer and everything in order to get a tomato. A farmer could never beat the ground hard enough to make a tomato or corn or whatever he wants, and you can never beat yourself up hard enough to produce patience. You cannot do it. You've got to participate with the order of God. And patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. So what we need, rather than beating the ground and trying to be more patient, we need more of the Spirit of God flowing through us. We need to be more yielded to the Spirit of God. We need to be praying in the Spirit. We need to be walking in the Spirit. He says, if you walk according to the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you walk according to the Spirit, he said, everlasting, everything from heaven is yours here on earth is uh, for us through the power of God. So we need to pray for patience, but in doing so, we need to pray that we're more yielded and filled to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. That makes sense? Amen. So, so I know we all need to work on this one, right? Okay, because it doesn't come natural. How many of you say it doesn't come natural to me to be patient? Okay, okay. Here's a mechanism that I've used that uh, has helped me tremendously to keep this in focus. When, when I'm dealing with someone who is peculiar, any of you got a picture of someone in mind? Somebody that's peculiar that you're dealing with? Okay. I like to learn something about their background. Okay. When, uh, you, when you do this, it changes you from seeing them as, uh, look how far they have to go. 
Look how you know, far short of the goal they are. And it changes it to now where you look at them and say, wow, look how far they've come. Look how far they've come. So I like to know something about their background because it helps me humanize them rather than see them as an obstacle or the problem uh, or the enemy. Because people are not our enemy. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, even though that peculiar person is the flesh we see and we're dealing with, but there's a spirit behind everything, and we must understand we can fight in that spirit realm, but when we're dealing in the natural realm, that we're to show patience, be patient with all. The next thing I like to do is I look not at their external weirdness, but rather their internal pain. And I understand that Satan is going to use uh, the people closest to me. He's going to use a weakness that he can find, an open door that he can bring his mean spirit through them to try and get me. You probably have heard this saying before, hurting people hurt people, right? Well, hurting people have an open door, whether it's through resentment, whether it's through bitterness, whether it's unforgiveness, that Satan can come through, and that's where the enemy hurts through them. So if they are hurting you right now, it's probably coming out of a deep hurt of something inside of them. It's from their pain, their fear, their anxiety, an internal struggle or depression or their loneliness. There's something going on in there and that's what's making them strike out uh, to the world around them. Romans 15 and 7 says this, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That when we receive one another, we are, that gives glory to God. That when we, op- when we fight against each other, that doesn't bring glory to God. Now God gives us all uh, access and green lights to fight against the demonic spirits against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. He wants us to war there, but he does not want us to war one with another. Uh, The NIV says it this way, accept one another just as Jesus Christ accepted you. So I believe it's very important that we understand that. Merciful people are accepting people. So go ahead and rate yourself. We're going to do this test. Rate yourself. Don't give your answers out, okay? Number one, I have no tolerance for people different from me. Absolutely none. Give yourself a zero to a one. Okay? The the scale goes from one to ten. So zero to one, that's at the bottom. I mean, that's that's, that's, uh, uh, not good. I mean, okay. So we we want to get up to ten. We want a high number. So you're starting in. If If that's your attitude, I have no tolerance for people different from me, you're not getting much on the scoreboard, okay? Secondly, I try to look beyond the weirdness of someone and find the hurt. Give yourself a two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. The third one is I always look beyond the external weirdness to see the hurt, always. Give yourself a 10 and make sure you stop by the Welcome Center and pick up one of the fake halos that we have there (laughs) because we'll all, all know that you're a liar. Okay, okay. So we just just wanted to let you know that the parting gift is there for you. (laughs) Praise God. So here's marks of whether or not I'm merciful. Number one, I'm patient with those who are peculiar. Secondly, Mark, the second mark is I forgive those who have fallen. If you forgive those who have fallen, it is a sign that you are merciful. See, when people mess up in your life, do you, like what Rick Warren says, do you rub it in or do you rub it out? 
uh, when they mess up in your life? Do you like to rub it in, uh, their failure, or do you want to rub it out? Well, you may say, I eventually get around to forgiving them, but I, I hold it over their head for a little while, and I've got to get some enjoyment out of this and make them squirm and suffer a little bit. Well, I know that's natural, and we all want to probably do that, but that's not what God is calling us to do. That's not what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through you. So ask yourself, is that what, is that what I want others to do for me? Is that how I want others to treat me if I've, I've made a mistake? And if you answer no, then you need not treat others that way. So even though it's natural, we are here to live the supernatural. Stop thinking when I get to heaven, I'll have access to the supernatural. Jesus says, I'm bringing heaven to earth. I'm going to give a taste of heaven on earth. You're going to be my church. You're going to be like a city set up on a hill. You're going to be salt. You're going to be light. You're going to be a cultural changer. You'll be a world changer. He says, so we are ushering in heaven on earth, and we have that responsibility. So we don't want to live with the limitation of just living like animals without uh, access to the supernatural. So I want to, I, I think this is very, very important. If you have a hard time forgiving others, if you have a hard time of releasing others and showing mercy, if you have a hard time, you, easily you take offense, you always take offense, you, you get upset, you hold on to a grudge. I want to ask you this question. Have you truly been forgiven by God? Have you had a grace encounter with God? I have to ask you that because unless you've had a genuine grace encounter with God, what I'm saying to you is foreign. What I'm saying to you sounds like religious talk. What I'm saying to you sounds good, but you know it doesn't work in the world because you've not had a grace encounter. So I ask you, have you experienced a grace encounter with God? I pray for every one of you that you've not only had a mental assent to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, but that you've gone from the head knowledge to the heart knowledge, where you have yielded to His Lordship, you've confessed Him as the Lord of your life, you have received His forgiveness, you once who were lost, you have now been found, you were blind, now can see, you genuinely know that your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, and you've had a grace encounter, you know what it's like to breathe that fresh air of forgiveness and that new life, and now you have a responsibility to be able to let God flow through you to bring that to others. A true grace experience. Knowing that God loves you, that God has forgiven you, and He holds you up as the apple of His eye. Do you know that? If you don't, you can today. He said, all who call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. You need to call on Jesus. You need to declare His Lordship over your life. You need to surrender your will, surrender your past, surrender your today, surrender your future unto Him. And you need to believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and He has shed His blood not to cover, but to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What a wonderful way to live living in the freedom of God, and then being used by God to free others up. That is our purpose. That is what God has called us to. So stop demanding justice. I want justice. Stop demanding justice. Because you might get it yourself. 
It's like the lady who went to a photographer and she paid for a series of shots, pictures to be taken and then she gets those pictures and they're handed to her and she looks at them and then she just gets all red in the face and all irate and she slams them on on the desk and she says, I want my money back. I demand justice. And the photographer told her, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. And I, I don't know what those pictures look like or what she looked like, but we'll leave that between them. So evaluate yourself. When someone fails you, do you write them out of your life? Do you mark them off? I'm done. I'm done. Never again. Done with that person. If that's you, give yourself a one. Okay? If you say, well, I do forgive, but I'm going to make them squirm a little bit. I'm going to let them feel a little pain, a little pain for for crossing me, but I'll eventually get around to forgiving them eventually. Yeah, eventually. Give yourself two, three, four, five, six, seven, wherever you're on that scale. Or if you can say, I honestly, I pray every day that the Lord help me be a forgiver. And when someone does something negative to me, I immediately forgive them. It never, ever crosses my mind again. There's no, even the scent of offense that comes into my life. Ah, you give yourself a 10. And you get one of those halos when you're leaving here today. Okay. I've made a decision, and I pray you'll make the same decision that God will help me stand by this choice to be a forgiver. Even when I don't know the harm, that's all the harm that's going to come out of it, I'm offering forgiveness right up front like Jesus offered to me. That's my decision. That's my stance. And if I position myself there and keep my faith in what Jesus has provided for me and remain full of the Spirit of God, then I believe I have supernatural access to do what I can't do in the natural, and that is to forgive no matter what. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the command of God. That we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. So here's your marks of whether or not you're merciful because mercy is the key to being a good neighbor. Okay? Be patient with those who are peculiar. Forgive those who have fallen. And third, help those who are hurting. Help those who are hurting. Proverbs 3.28 says, Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. God says, don't put off. Don't put off helping someone when you have the resource, when you have the ability to help them now. See, mercy is a do word. It's practical. It's very, it's, it's in the shoe leather, showing the heart of God in, the, in shoe leather. Here's a good way to pray every day. Say, Lord, I want to be a forgiver today. And Lord, I want to be an ambassador for your kingdom today. And Lord, show me someone who's hurting that you can use me in some small way, Lord God, to alleviate some of their pain. We should pray that every day. God, let me be your hands. Let me be your feet. Let me be your mouth. Let me help somebody who's hurting today. In 1 John 3, 17, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Do you hear God say, listen, children. He says, if you've got the means, you've got, you can reach out, you can encourage, you can bring joy, you can bring a, a word that would lift someone up, you can help them with your hand, you've got a resource to help them, but you refuse to do it, 
How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Jesus puts us on the spot in John 13 and 35. He says, hey, world, look, look. This is how you're going to know the true church. This is how you're going to be able to identify my true disciples. And he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. He gave the world the right to determine whether or not we are real Christians or not by how we show love one for another. John Wesley's motto was, do all, that, do all the good you can by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places that you can, at all the times that you can, to all the people that you can, as long as you can. I think that's a good motto. Wow, here's a man that, that literally changed the culture of America in his lifetime. He was riding on his horseback for over 250,000 miles and he went and started these little societies that he would set up as became these uh, churches and, and, and he literally through his teaching of the Word of God and his example changed the culture of his day. And how did he do that? Because he was committed to giving away mercy. Too many Christians today, we're like Flip Wilson's comment. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? You younger folks, you Google him. You'll figure out. You'll see who he is. When he was asked, Flip, what, what, Mr. Wilson, what religion are you? He says, you know, uh, what religion are you? He said, I'm a Jehovah's bystander. I wonder how many of us, if we went into a court trial, the jury would find us guilty of being a Jehovah's bystander. That would not be a good verdict at all. Show mercy to those who are hurting. And not just people who are hurting mentally or emotionally or physically, but spiritually as well. Jude 1.22 says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. You see someone's faith is wavering. You don't go and judge them. That's not the time to go and jump on them and, 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 and damn them. It's the time to show mercy to them. They're wrestling with questions about God. We all have. They're, they're struggling with doubt. We all have. We don't need judgment and condemnation. We need mercy. So evaluate yourself. Here you go. When someone is hurting, what do you do? I don't know anyone who is hurting. Give yourself a minus five. Because you really are not in the real world. Okay. Well, I see hurting people all around, but that's the pastor's job. Give yourself a minus ten. Okay, the Bible calls us all to be merciful. Or I pray on a regular basis for the Lord, help me to set aside my selfish agenda so that I can see the hurting and help the hurting. Rate yourself, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Because if you're merciful, you'll be patient with the peculiar. If you're merciful, you'll forgive those who have fallen. And if you're merciful, you'll help those who are hurting. And finally, you will do good to your enemies. Did I say enemies? I did. And that made every bit of our flesh just crawl. It just was like, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't feel good. That can't be right. But it's the Bible. Jesus said in Luke 6, and if you do good to those who do good to you, big deal. Now that's not New King James Version. That's Tim Lambert's version there. Uh, but it's basically saying the same thing. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. What difference are you from the world? 
You do good to those who do good to you. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies. Wow, love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High God for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. We need Holy Ghost help here. We need Holy Ghost help here. I understand that. I'm not asking you to even take this challenge on your own. You need the Spirit of God with liberty to live in you and flow through you and you yield it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in order for you to walk this out. In Romans 12 and 20, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in, doing, in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the exact opposite of what we're taught growing up. We're taught growing up, if they hurt us, get them. Get them. Make them pay. Right? Make it so painful they'll never even come at you ever again. And, and I'm not suggesting that mercy does not hold people accountable. We're not saying that. You see the fence up there on the screen. There has to be boundaries. There has to be accountability. And there's so much other teaching that I can't squeeze into this message of where that accountability needs to be upheld uh, for you, uh, about your life and your family, and about others and, and, and things that you do. That is so important. And I'm not suggesting that mercy is just a handout. And I'm not suggesting that mercy should enable an evil lifestyle. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is what the Bible says. We have a responsibility to show mercy. And if we give mercy on the basis of, of who we are and who we serve, He gets the glory. It says God is glorified in this. So when you go to work tomorrow and the jerk at work, you know who he is. Or the fool at school, you know who they are. They come up to you and they start complaining, giving you a hard time or whatever. Try to turn it into complimenting them or say or blessing them, not blessing them out, but blessing them and then, and then set your fence, set your boundaries, go about your day. Don't engage, don't take offense, don't get into the fight. There's a broken person that the enemy's using and he's trying to pull you in, he's trying to lure you in to a street fight that is only going to make things worse. Operate out of the spirit realm and say, devil, I see what you're doing, and I'm going to war you in the realm that, uh, uh, in the spirit realm, and I'm going to come at you with the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the word of God, and I'm going to rebuke and resist you, and you're going to flee. But this hurting person here, I'm not going to take it personal. I'm not going to take offense. I'm not going to let bitterness come into my life. Because, but I've heard people say, well, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't see where that's going to change anything if I bless them, if they're trying to give me a hard time. Yes, it will. It may not change them, but you have changed. You have changed. And you're the one that will stand before God one day. So again, Paul said in Romans 12, 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, I really don't understand all the, the ramifications of what that means, but that's in God's hands. He's the one that's going to be heaping coals on their head, and that sounds good. It, it, it kind of appeases a part of me that says they needed a spanking for that. So I was like, okay, God, that's it. they're yours. You take care of that. But I'm going to do what you've called me to do, and then you're going to do what you're going to do, God. So do not overcome evil, by over, uh, but overcome evil with good. So evaluate yourself. How did you do? One, four, seven, ten. What's your numbers? What's your numbers? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Amen. So in these last few minutes, I want to encourage you 
with some motivators to be merciful. And so I motivate you as we leave here this morning. I want to motivate you to be merciful this week to others. First, because God is merciful to you. Okay, just remember that up front. God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8. He died for us while we were cursing his name. He died for us while we, before we ever called him Lord. He died for us. So you be merciful because God has been merciful to you. And also be merciful because we are going to need more mercy in the future. Don't you get all cocky. Don't you get, I score 10. Remember that fake halo is going to prove that you are a liar. You're a fudger or something of the sort. You didn't grade properly, okay? If we live, I can guarantee we're probably going to need mercy in the future, right? And James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he says, if you don't show mercy, judgment comes on you. You can't get mercy if you don't show mercy. So God says, this thing is just not open-ended. You have a responsibility. So we may need mercy in the future, so we need to show mercy. Amen? And then the third motivator is because being merciful makes you happy. That is biblical. The most miserable person on planet Earth is the person who holds grudges. I'm telling you, Ben Franklin said, when you're kind to others, you are most kind to yourself. In Proverbs 11, 17, we got a verse of Scripture to back this up. The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. You bring trouble into your body. You bring trouble and pain into your life if you refuse to be merciful. So I motivate you. God is first merciful to you. Be like your God and be merciful to others. And you may need mercy in the future, so you need to be merciful to others. And do your soul good. Receive the fullness of, of joy and peace and, and happiness and blessings from God by aligning your character with his character and your actions with his actions by being merciful. So remember, you're merciful if you're patient with those who are peculiar. You forgive those who have fallen. You help those who are hurting. And you choose that I will be good to my enemies. I will do good to my enemies. Let me tell you what. Those are marks of a man or a woman of God who is merciful. And remember, you cannot give what you don't have. So if you don't have Jesus Christ and you've not received his mercy and you've not received everlasting life, and you've not received his fullness of grace today, you can right now, right now in this place. We're going to stand together in just a second or two, and then we're going to pray. And in this prayer, if you want to call on the name of Jesus, you can right now. And maybe you've stepped out of line in showing mercy, and you've been holding grudges, and you've got unforgiveness, and, and there's a root of bitterness. You need to deal with that today in this prayer. You need to deal with that. Put it on the altar of God, and this altar is always open. You can bring it and put it on the altar of God. I will not leave here with this unforgiveness. I will not walk through these doors with this root of bitterness. I, will, I refuse to leave here without properly aligning myself to God so that I can go into the week that he's created for me and soar into all that he has for me. Let's stand together. Father, as we stand in your presence now, we just want to say thank you. 
Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for, for good instruction that will bring us out of the path of despair into the path of righteousness and the path of joy and the path of blessings, Lord God. You want all of your children to walk in your goodness and walk in your favor. But, Lord, we have a responsibility to align ourselves with your word. And Lord God, today's subject you gave us is that we to be a good neighbor. In order to be a good neighbor, we've got to be a men and women of mercy, showing mercy, and receiving it and giving it. Lord God, if there's anyone here today who has not genuinely received your mercy, Lord God, Lord God, I pray your eyes would be opened right now and they would see had it not been for your mercy, they would be dead. Had it not been for mercy, they would have died without you know, knowing you and they'd be spending an eternity in hell. But because of your mercy, Lord God, they're alive today and they have this opportunity to make a choice right now whether or not they're going to leave here as a son, daughter of God or they're going to leave here rejecting you. Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who has never had a grace encounter with you, I pray right now that they would pray a prayer, this prayer with me. And all of you can pray it with me. Father God, I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you that while I was yet a sinner, you loved me so much that you gave your only begotten son. And Jesus, I thank you that you love me so much you are willing to die on the cross and shed your blood to pay my account and redeem me and wash me and cleanse me and give me a new birth to be born a child of God. You said, whosoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. Jesus, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I call on you now to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe God has raised you from the dead. You are alive. Now come live in me from this day forward, I pray. And now, God, I just pray for each and every person that made that decision years ago. I rejoice with them, Lord God, that salvation, it goes through the decades. It goes through uh, the, 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 the test of time that your salvation that you give us, Lord God, gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. But for those that just entered in, Lord, we rejoice with the angels in heaven and we rejoice that names have been written in the Lamb's book of life and lives have been transformed. Now, God, we pray that before we leave here, we pray you would fill us afresh, fill us overflowing, fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, because we know patience is a fruit of the Spirit, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, all the kindness is a good of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we need your Spirit fully flowing in and through us in order for us to be merciful, in order for us to love our neighbor, in order for us to obey that second and great commandment that you gave Jesus. So now we pray, fill this house. House. Come on, church. Fill this house. Ask Him to fill you. Say, God, I ask you, Father God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me fresh. Fill me anew. Let, overflowing, Lord God. Let your fruit rise up in me. Let your fruit be manifest through me, Lord. I want to be a living, walking, talking example of you on earth, Lord God. Here, use me as an instrument of righteousness as I've dedicated myself to you 
in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.